All right, a couple admin things as we uh, move forward. I forgot to share this. This is vitally important for my integrity and for clarity. Uh, when this picture was up there last week, and I said, I wonder if that's Boston, and I said the James River. Will you forgive me? It's the Charles River. No, I don't know if that's Boston. Someone actually thinks, that, thinks it might be uh, 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 London. I have no idea. Uh, if you want to do your Google search on that picture sometime, you let me know. But I can't believe you can take the boy out of Virginia. You can't take Virginia out of the boy, all right? I'm a, a Virginia boy from way back. And James River goes uh, in the area of Richmond and all that. So uh, anyway, oops. Uh, also, just uh, by way of saying, we're going to see uh, Barb. Where's Barb? Barb's. There she is. Barb, very good to see you. I know I'm, I know I'm bringing a lot of attention to you right at the moment, and I hope that's not a bad thing, but good to see you. All right. All right. Good to have you here. Thank you. And um, good to see all of you. We're, we, we started this series last week, so this is a theme, I should say. It's more than a series. We'll We'll actually unpack um, uh, uh, a book study here as we get past this, this section. But we're going to have a little, I introduced this theme. Uh, this will be the theme from uh, right this time of the, the year to next time, this time of year. And uh, we're talking about shine and light. Uh, Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. So over the next series of weeks, we're going to be uh, unpacking this theme. Uh, each pastor will come up and share a uh, uh, some aspect of, of this theme and challenge us from God's Word in that area. Um, I, I introduced it last week, and then I'm, I'm the first one to kind of uh, tackle this, and so I'll explain that in a little bit what I'm going to do. But I want to just uh, introduce you or remind you about Matthew 5, 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. I'm personally excited about this particular uh, theme. Uh, it hits in multiple areas of my faith, both my belief and my practice. And, uh, and I hope that you find it invigorating to your belief and your practice as well. Uh, we, we are being challenged to let our light shine before men. That's that light. I, I said, who is the light? It's Jesus' light. And I said, it's not so much a what, but as we talked about it, there is some aspect of what is the light. Uh, um, and, and, and we'll look at that as we go through the different passages of scriptures. But I'll say, let your light so shine before men. Our faith is intended to be seen by those in the world around us. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. We've just finished a series talking about glorifying God through Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. One of the ways that we will do that is to shine our life, light into our com- church community as well as uh, into our local community and, and do it in such a way where they can only explain who we are and what we're doing because of Christ in us. And so that's, that's kind of the, that's, again, that's the theme. Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. So, but what I've been tasked with today as we, as we now segue into uh, the actual sermon uh, this, this is compelling to me, all right? We'll talk about being compelled later, but this is compelling to me. And, uh, and so w- when we think about this thing, a natural impulse is to ask, how do we reveal Christ to our community? That's the first place most of us want to go. When, when Dr. Ewert was here, uh, and uh, I took a class with him, he's the one that did our assessment, and, and I'll, I'm, I'll be thankful to him probably to the day I die 
in terms of challenging his students with the idea of the discipline of why. He says so often as humans, we want to go to the how. How how do we do it? All right, so we're talking about revealing Christ to our community. How? How do we reveal Christ to our community? Uh, another, another question that may come to your mind, it, it could be, you know, what does it look like to reveal Christ to our community? I'm all about, and I think you're going to be all about, revealing Christ to our community. But I think we have to, we have to back up a little bit and, and observe the discipline of why and ask this question. Why are we able to reveal Christ to our community? We ought to ask ourselves this question because, listen, we can jump right in and start doing, 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 but if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, or if we don't know why we're able to even do it, then we're going we're gonna to fall short of glorifying God in all the ways that we can. So a better question to ask is, why are we able to reveal Christ to our community? It's a, it's a legitimate question. We could phrase it this way. It's a how question, but it's how is it even possible that we, Little Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, is going to reveal Christ. So this is, this is uh, the big idea for today. Our union with Christ and his death changes us completely. If you're a Christian today, this has already happened to you. This idea of union with Christ, it's a as Joe was pointing out, it's a historical way of communicating the fact that Christ is in us, but we are also in Christ, and that's the aspect I want to challenge you with today. Our union with Christ in his death. If you are here this morning because you have always gone to church on Sunday morning, you have always gone maybe to a Baptist church, but you have not understood the significance of Christ's death for your life, then this is a sermon you probably ought to pay attention to. Because we're going to talk about this union, this union with Christ in his death changes us completely. So I want to ask you now, I do this often, and I hope you don't get tired of it, but I think it's helpful for us to understand where Scripture is intended uh, to challenge us. I, I want to ask you to remember when you were not a Christian. Now, you, you may have been under the Christian umbrella. You may have been going to church. But, but when did it click for you that you were a sinner destined for hell? As good as you were, when did, it, when did it hit you, the reality, that my sin needs forgiveness? And then understand this. When I say our union with Christ in his death changes us completely. You'll understand where I'm coming from. There are people who have never made that discovery. You know, we talk about uh, discover, believe, connect, serve, multiply, right? Discover Jesus. Believe in him. Believe in all that he says in his word. Connect with fellow believers. Serve within the community of believers serve outside the community as well in the name of Christ, and then multiply Christ-likeness in others. It's the idea. We, we want to do all this. This is, what we're, this is the road we're on. But this idea, how do we do all of that? It's the same answer. It's not, it's not just that Christ is in us. We must first be in Christ. And I ask you, have you understood that to be in Christ, his death need to be, needs to be applied to your sin? So that's where we're going to be today.
So there's a few aspects of this we're going to look at. We're going to say our union with Christ and his death changes us completely from the inside out, all areas of life. There's nothing hidden from Christ. Our union with Christ is in his death uh, uh, changes us completely. We as Christians can live like never before. I, I always think about, um, oh, I'm going to forget his name now, but the, the finance guru, the Christian finance guru, Dave, Dave Ramsey. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that, right? He says, uh, live now, uh, live like no others now so you can live like no others later. He's talking about be, be, be good with your finances now so that you'll have be well uh, um, supplied in your older years and you can do all the things other people can't do. Uh, that's not I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what this is getting at. I'm just saying as Christians, we actually are able to live as Christians like we were never able to live before. We're going to unpack uh, I think there's four points. Uh, the third one is in two parts. But I want to just encourage us right now. If you're a Christian here today, own these passages. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at 14 and 15 together, then 16 and 17, then 18 and 19. All right? But Christians can live like never before. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at what Paul says. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, whom he loves dearly. He says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. All right, so there's 14 and 15. And uh, so we're, again, we're considering this point. Christians can live like never before. And so let's just uh, look a little bit more in detail at it. First of all, we talk about, the, Paul starts off with the, for the love of Christ compels us. When's the last time you felt compelled to do something? Uh, there's all kinds of illustrations we could give. Uh, some funny, not, some not so funny. But we could say, listen, this idea of compel is, is I am, there is no way I can sit still. I must do something. It's the idea of I am, I am constrained to, to do this thing. I I must do something or, or I will not be able to, to go any further in whatever it is. I, I'm compelled. Paul is saying, listen, there is this com- compelling thing that is, that is on his heart and in his mind. And what is it? He says, the love of Christ compels us. This love, this, this unbelievable expression from God to man that he loved us, that he gave his only begotten son. This love of Christ The love of the Father expressed through the Son, but this love of the Son compels us because why? Because it says we we judge something. Paul is speaking about himself as well as the the people working with him. He's saying this idea of judge is they've come to to a determination. I think it's stronger than that. I think it's it's to the point of conviction. He's saying the love of Christ compels us because we have this conviction. What is the conviction? One died for all. Our union with Christ in his death changes everything. Changes us completely. And he's saying the one, Jesus Christ, died for all. We're good with that. There have been churches, Christian churches all over the world, all over since since the day of Pentecost that have been preaching this thing. Jesus Christ died for all. Is that sufficient for salvation? 
Well, I think there's more because I believe that Jesus died for all. I believe that he was God's son. I believe that, his, that he died for all the sins of the world, for everybody. But I had never applied that death to my life. So remember the time before you were a Christian. Remember the time when you thought because of your uh, practice of religion that you were in right standing with God. And understand, it has to be applied to your life. Because he says, if, if one died for all, he says, then all died. Now we have to talk about these alls for a minute, because the first all is more than likely talking about of all men, women, and children of all time. One died for all. That, 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 is, that would be the furthest expression of the word all. Now, some people want to limit it to, to just Christians, that he died just for Christians, those that, that can't come to faith. But I'm saying that's the practical outworking of it. But we know that Jesus Christ is God's Son. He's a fully God and fully man. That his death was sufficient to cover all sin of all people of all time. Meaning that there's not one single person who's ever lived that's beyond the grace of God. If one died for all, then all died. Now, let's look at that second all, that second point. Who, well, then all died. Well, who died? Who are the all that died? Now, this is probably more in the restricted sense of Christians. Because only Christians who have come into fellowship with God through the Son because there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. Only Christians have died in Christ. For the love of Christ, this is, and this is the way Paul's understanding the love of Christ, that he died for all. And all have died. Paul has died. His, the people he's with are died. The believing Corinthians have died. We have died if we are in Christ. It says... He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. This is the restricted sense of the word. He says, he died for all. And then he defines the all in this case. He says, that those who live. Well, who lives? Well, who's, who's been moved from death to life? Who's moved from darkness to light? Who, who are those? Those are Christians legitimate people, people who have come to a legitimate faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says, he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live, that's you, and that's me if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. We should live no longer for ourselves. That's what he's saying. Paul's saying, listen, there's this love that constrains us, it was, it was expressed through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and he died for everyone, but I think we sometimes, we're so caught up in, in other aspects of faith, we forget that this idea that we are in Christ. We're going to get to that, that text in a minute, uh, in the next slide, but, or the next uh, scripture of, section. But he said, listen, we are no longer to live for ourselves. This idea that our union with Christ in his death changes us completely. Christians can live like never before. He says, he died for all that those who live should not live, uh, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We can live like never before because our union with Christ is death. Christians can live selflessly for Christ. You couldn't do that before you came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
I couldn't do that. I told the first service that I was the goody two-shoe kid in my family. I'm second in rank to, to Diane, in my view. Diane was always better than me, uh, and she's wonderful, and I love her. All right? As I look at Diane, I would say, yeah, not as good as her, but I just look at others. Well, I'm better than them. I'm better than those people that I went to college with. I'm better than those that I went to high school with. I'm better. I'm better. I, can, I can compare myself, and I can come up to some understanding that, that I am good. I am better. But that's not what we have in Christ. He says, because of our union, well, not, not he, but I'm saying, because of our union with Christ in his death, Paul is saying, Christians can live selflessly. Did you live that way before you came to Christ? Were you characterized by putting others before yourself? Were you characterized by esteeming others better than yourself? Were you characterized by giving someone a drink of water in the name of Christ? Well, probably not because you hadn't come to faith in Christ yet. But in Christ, we can live selflessly. Now, we're not going to talk about the way we live selflessly. That, that's going to be subsequent sermons in this series as we talk about the way we live out our faith. But again, Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. That's dealing, really dealing with the expression of our faith. What I'm trying to bring our attention to is the core of who we are is that we are in Christ. We can't have him in us unless we're in him first. And so the, 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 the abiding challenge is, do you have, are you in Christ? Have you come to faith in him? Is this characteristic of your life that because of this union with Christ, this union of death, Jesus Christ died for you. He died for me. And it's because of that union that I'm, I'm, I'm now dead to, to my old self. We'll look at that in a minute. And I'm alive to Christ in my life. I can live selflessly. In my, in my marriage counseling, I, I often go to the, the word selfish. Selfish destroys any relationship. Selfless models Christ. Selfish will, will get you in all kinds of trouble and will alienate you from, from the person that you say you care about. Selflessness, being selfless, will, will endear them to you. It will strengthen your relationship. Apart from Christ, we cannot live selflessly. We are consumed with who we are. But in Christ, we can live like no one has ever lived before, like we have never lived before. We could not live this way apart from Christ, and we can live selflessly. And I, I challenge you to consider what is your life characterized by and do you know this truth? Because this is what we have when we are in Christ. This is a quote from David Peterson. Uh, uh, I, I, I've read the book before, and I couldn't put it down uh, again. But it says, Sanctification is about being possessed by God and expressing that distinctive and exclusive relationship by the way we live. All right, so I'm introducing this term at this point in the sermon, sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, understand, it's be to set apart to set apart for a use. As we talk about being sanctified in Christ, sanctified to God, there is only one way to be set apart, and that is through the Son. He says here, sanctification, this, this pro that we talk about sanctification usually as a process, and that's true. From the time we come to faith, we are maturing. We talk about our mission is to make a mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, once a disciple is made, they have this progressive growth of Christ-likeness going on in their life. We call that progressive sanctification. Little by little, moment by moment, 
issue of life after issue of life, God allows us to experience things to make us look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. That is the Christian life, and that is progressive sanctification. But this isn't talking about progressive sanctification in the first part of this quote. The first part of this quote says sanctification is about being possessed by God. Do you have possessions, right? You have many possessions in your life. Think about a favorite one, some favorite possession. And you can say, in all legitimacy, you can say, that is mine. I possess it. It's no one else's. It's mine. Now think about it from God's perspective. Sanctification is about being possessed by God. As Christians, as believers in the, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, who, who is the Savior of the world, right? The Son of God, he says, listen, those who have come to be set apart through the work of my Son, those that have been sanctified, they are my possession. We are God's. We are in Christ. He says sanctification is about being possessed by God and, notice this, expressing that distinctive and exclusive relationship by the way we live. It goes back to, again, the core of our, of our identity is found in Christ alone. But the expression of that reality can take many forms over, over a lifetime. And what he's saying here is being possessed by God is the beginning that must take place for the second part of this to be true. We cannot express something that's not real. We cannot express something that's not true. Because sanctification is about being possessed by God, but the expression and expressing that distinctive and exclusive relationship. God is saying, you're mine, and we're saying, yes, thank you. He's saying that, uh, expressing that distinctive and ex exclusive relationship by the way we live. That'll be in some aspect, that'll be the subsequent sermons from this. This, this. this Christ in us reveals Christ to the world is the second part here. We are seeking to, to, to express the distinctive and exclusive relationship that we have as Christians. My point today is to, to just bring to the forefront this, the reality that you can't do that unless you are in Christ. And that only comes by faith and who he is and what he's done. But when you believe that to be true, you can live like you've never lived before. We can go on and say that our union with Christ and his death changes us completely because Christians can see like never before. Listen, I need these things, right? Uh, I sent a quote, to the, a quote um, from a book to the other pastors yesterday, and, and Jeff responded to it. He says, look out, Joe. Greg's got his reading glasses on, and it dawned on me, no, I didn't. I had my work glasses on. I was like, oh, and I scrambled, and I put them on, and I put my regular reading glasses on. I was like, oh, finally. I was wondering why I was getting a headache. I didn't have the right glasses on. Well, we're not talking about visible sight here. We're talking about spiritual sight. Christians can see like never before. What, what am I getting at? Well, look what Paul says in, in verse 16. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
most of us that have been around Christian circles and have uh, memorized Scripture have memorized 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's one of my favorite passages to help someone understand who they are in Christ. They're a new creation. But as we take these two texts together, let's, let's just uh, consider something. He says, therefore, from now on, what Paul is saying, from the moment of my conversion, this was true in my life, Paul says. And we can say it as well. This is true of a believer. Prior to Christ, you could not say this. But after you came to faith in Jesus Christ, it says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Well, what are we talking about with this, uh, this idea of flesh? Well, uh, because of our union with Christ and his death, Christians can see others through spiritual eyes. I think, that, I think this is actually what he's kind of saying here, and I'm just putting it in my own words, but I think that just to kind of help us understand, you know, this, this truth going back, again, is the idea that Christians can see like never before. Before we were indwelled by the Spirit, before we came, came into Christ, before that all became true, we had a limited vision. We were able to see people in the flesh with all their sinfulness, with all their frustrations, with all the different things. We could see their shabby clothes. We could see whatever. We could only see the outward appearance. We could not peer into the heart. Why? Because we didn't know what that was before Christ. He says, we are no man according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's, this is the thought. We're going to talk about all the white text, but this is the thought. He's saying, listen, we regard no one according to the flesh, but if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This is speaking about the new created order. We are the first fruits, right? Christ is the first fruits. We're going to follow him. This is the reality that we are something different than we were before. We are new, and we are, it's an act of God. God has born us again. He has brought us from death to life. He has done all this stuff. It's all in the power of God. We didn't do anything to achieve this. He's saying, as a Christian, we don't regard people the way we used to regard them. We regard them now. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm a new creation. You're a new creation. Uh, think about this. People are either in spiritual need or are made spiritually new. There's only two types of people in the world. Those in spiritual need, those who need Christ. And there are those who have been made spiritually new. That's the majority of us. I ask you to consider which, which part you're in. You're, only, you're one or the other. Are you in spiritual need this morning? Are you, are you limited in what you can see, what you can understand? Your life is not one that you would say honors God. That maybe you're in spiritual need as in you need Christ. Or maybe you're, you've been made spiritually new. You've come to genuine faith in Christ. I pray that that is what's true for you. Because we regard no one according to the flesh. We have these new eyes and we can see people in their need, or we can see them for who they are. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, go, sorry, going back here, we see that even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. This is Paul. I think it's a way he's expressing his own testimony of his interaction with Christ. How did he see Christ before the road to Damascus? 
He was a dead person that caused an uprising, and his followers were continuing the uprising, and he must squash the, the, the people that, are, that were guilty of, of calling. Well, they weren't called Christians yet, but he was, he was, he was going to crush the church. He was going to crush this group of people because he only saw Christ for what he thought he knew, and then he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Everything changed. He says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, of which Paul did, Paul may have been in the same, he may have heard Jesus teach and preach. We don't know. We don't have any written account of that. But he certainly was, they were living at the same time. And he was persecuting the church. So he obviously knew of Christ. He says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet know we know him, uh, yet now we know him thus no longer. I do not have the same view of Christ I used to have, Paul saying. I know him to be my Lord and Savior. And he says, therefore, because we don't, we don't look at Christ that way anymore, we recognize he's the Son of God. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, because Paul is a new creation. Paul, on the road to Damascus, came to Christ. Me in my dorm room, I came to Christ. You, wherever you were, you came to Christ. If you've come. And if you've come, you can see people differently. Because we can now say, I see you differently than I did before. It says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's true for me. It's true for every believer. This is what we have in Christ because we are in Christ, old things have passed away. For Paul, it's true. He's not that person anymore. And you are not that person anymore if you've come to Christ. You may feel like you are because you're still uh, maybe haunted by some of the sins of your past. You need to realize that in Christ, your sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. Don't believe the lie of Satan that would say, remind you of that sinfulness of your past and say, see, you're no good. And Jesus says, no, you're, I saved you. I've atoned for that sin. And that one, and that one, and that one, and all your sins. Because old things are passed away. You're not that person anymore, Christian. Behold, all things have become new. There is this reality he doesn't unpack all the nuances of this. We'll look at more of what it means to have Christ in us and how that expressed in, ser in subsequent sermons. But listen, as we talk about this, if anyone is in Christ, we are a new creation. Period. I mean, it's not a period there, but I'll say we're new. We don't have to apologize. We don't have to uh, do any good works. It's all been done for us in Christ. It's a beautiful truth. Another quote from David Peterson that covers two slides, but he says, when we, when we overwhelm people with conditions which they must fulfill to prove that they are making progress as Christians, we distort the gospel. So the, the main point is on the, the next slide, but let me just, he, he's making a point, and I'm just jumping into the middle here, but he says, listen, uh, when we overwhelm people with things, have you ever felt overwhelmed in your faith? You know, some of that overwhelming is overwhelming joy at the knowledge that all your sin is forgiven. But sometimes there's some overwhelming things that come into your life like, I just can't seem to do the things that other Christians do. I just can't seem to be that person. I, I, I can't get victory. 
in these other areas. And people are telling me I should have victory. And if I'm not getting victory, then, then somehow I'm deficient. Maybe I'm not saved. Well, there's an overwhelming thought. Trusting Christ as your Savior from sin and legitimately acknowledging Him as the Son of God who died on the cross for all the sins of the world, applying that, that, that sacrifice to myself and, to, and, and then being told, well, maybe I'm not a believer. That'll cause you some stress. What the author is saying here says, when we overwhelm people with conditions which they must fulfill to prove, to prove to who? Prove to us, not God. To prove that they are making progress as Christians. We distort the gospel, the, simplest, the simple gospel. So simple children can understand. Our sins are in need of forgiveness. The only way they can be forgiven is by a sacrifice. That sacrifice was Jesus Christ on the cross. I paid for all sin of all time, and all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, forgive me for my sins. He's saying we distort the gospel when we, when we ask people to prove their spirituality. He goes on to say, we must learn to accept them as those already sanctified, definitive sanctification, the once for all sanctification that comes from us being in Christ. We must learn to accept them as those already sanctified in Christ Jesus. The final shape of what they will be is in God's hands, and he will achieve his purposes, his purpose in his own time and in his own way. Listen, folks, I'm not saying that we shouldn't wonder about our salvation from the time to time. If we're, our life is characterized by sinfulness and all that, by, by all means, go, go to the gospel and say, no, no, I believe that. I believe that my sins are covered un, under Christ. And I, I, I desire to, be, to live out this life of, new, of a new creation. But we need, to, we need to not only help our, give ourselves a, a break and understanding that God will grow us in His time and for His purpose in His own way. That's why we trust in the sovereignty of God. I'm not the same Christian I am today that I was 30 years ago when I got saved. I'm not. And that's a good thing. We grow incrementally as God allows us to experience and learn and grow as we engage in His Word he makes himself known to us more and more because if we're in him, he will never, Jesus says, I'll never cast you out. So Christians can live like they've never lived before. They can see like they've never seen before. They can see the spiritual needs of people and they can extend grace to people where they would not have been able to do that before because if Christ did it to me, I ought to do it to others. And thirdly, we see that Christians can relate to God like never before. 2 Corinthians 5 18 and 19, we see, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Remember, the process of reconciliation is, is a work of God. To reconcile means to bring peace between parties. Maybe you've had uh, an out, uh, you've had a frustration or a separation in your family. Maybe it's been parents, maybe it's been between parents and children. Maybe you've had good friends where you've been on the outs, right? You just... There's just the relationship is, is hurting, it's struggling, there's no peace. Well, that's the way we are born into this world. We are not in peace with God. We are not reconciled to God. That's why Jesus came, to reconcile us. He says, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us. It's all God's work. He did the reconciling. 
He reconciled us to himself, God the Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ. This, this is, again, another aspect of the gospel, but this is what has transpired. God is bringing peace in our relationship between us and him. Do you know that peace? Elsewhere it says there, it's a peace that transcends understanding. It's like I, 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 I cannot believe all that I know and have and believe to be true, and it brings me peace. But he says this is a, a cessation of hostilities. There's no more wrath of God intended for a person that has been reconciled to God. There is there now, therefore, no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have stepped from death to life. There, we are not going to experience the wrath of God. Whew. But some people, many people, will. Many people will experience the wrath of God, but not those who have been reconciled to him. He says even further, not only do we have a... a um, we can relate to God like never before, but we can, I believe, we can relate to mankind like never before. Think about it. Your life before Christ. Were you interested in talking about spiritual things to people? Well, some people have that hobby. I've been around them. They will talk about Buddha. They'll talk about uh, Ishtar. They'll talk about all these different things. They'll talk about all kinds of stuff because they just like talking about it. But did you ever talk to someone about Jesus before you knew you were in Jesus? Probably not. Maybe, maybe you did. I took a religion course in college before I was a believer. No, I think it was I was a new believer. And the, and the instructor was a born-again Christian. Yeah, he had to talk about all the different stuff. But you just knew there was something different. There was something different. And so as we talk about Christians can relate to God like never before, Christians can relate to mankind like never before. How does that work? Well, he says here, God who has reconciled himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is, this is going from Christ, uh, from us being in Christ to being Christ in us, doing, conducting this ministry of reconciliation. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this is the both parts, the, the core of our identity, the expression of our identity. The core is that we are in, we are in God because he's been reconciled to us through Christ. Then he says, but now we've been given something. It's a precious gift. It's a gift of the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was already doing this before you and I came on the scene. He said, God, as he was reconciling the world through Christ, not imputing their trespasses to them. He was saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm reconciling people, right? I'm reconciling, not not imputing their trespasses to them, not counting their sins against them. And Christ has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Christ in us means that we can express Christ to others. And we have this ministry that's been committed to the church, and it's the word of reconciliation. We can, we can go back and say Christians can relate to mankind like never before. We can actually bring the gospel we can give the truth of reconciliation. Do you remember what it was like to know that you stand justified in God's eyes because of what Christ has done? Do you understand that you are righteous in God's eyes right now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Isn't it thrilling to think that we can help others understand that truth as well? Because that's what Paul calls 
the ministry of reconciliation. We can call it evangelism. It's what we're supposed to be doing. Because of our union with Christ and his death, Christians are reconciled to God and can minister reconciliation to others like they've never been able to do it before. Our union with Christ and his death changes us completely from the inside out. Think about this verse. We read it earlier. Uh, Christina read it earlier. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is stepping into the realm of Christ in us, reveals Christ to our community. Ambassadors go forth. They convey a message. It's not their message. It's the message they've been given. And they're ambassadors, and they go, and they tell, and they speak, and they, they proclaim. But you, we can only be an ambassador if, Christ, if we're in Christ first. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. This is Paul speaking on behalf of himself. It's as if God was pleading through us, Corinthians. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's a pleading. That word pleading just, it kind of haunts me in, in a good sense. It's like, this is, the, this is giving us this, a taste of the way God approaches the gospel. He's pleading. He's imploring on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. Week after week, we could say, be reconciled. Be at peace with God. Have your sins forgiven. Help others understand their sins can be forgiven. Be reconciled to God. It's his work. We just need to come to faith in his word that Jesus Christ is his son and he's accomplished reconciliation through his death, burial, and resurrection. It says, for he made him who knew no sin. That's speaking of Jesus. Jesus was sinless. That's why he could hang on that cross in your place and in mine because he was a sinless sacrifice, a sacrifice with no blemish that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's an amazing truth that we are righteous in God's eyes, but not because of the way I lived before I knew Christ. It's only true because of who I am in Christ. I wonder if you'll, we'll close with this, this uh, on our minds and hearts. I wonder if you could make this your prayer as we conclude today. This is Galatians 2.20, one of those verses that you learn early on in your, in your uh, walk of faith in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. There's that death theme again. I've been crucified with him. We just learned from another letter that Paul is saying, listen, it's a theme that he keeps teaching over and over again. We are, we are in union with Christ through his death. Without being in union with Christ in his death, we have no life. We must be in union with his death. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live. Now he's talking about the life that comes after faith in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm crucified with Christ. That put me in Christ. But now Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, the one that everyone gets to see, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Have you, have you experienced the love of God? Have you experienced this truth in your life? If you haven't, what we ask you to do today is pray a prayer of faith and saying, God, allow me to be in Christ. Forgive me of my sins. 
I believe your word that says that he paid the penalty for my sin on that cross. And when he resurrected, it shows that he has power over not only sin, but even death. And those that are in Christ are made alive. They're reborn. Pray a prayer of faith asking God to forgive you of your sins. And he will forgive you. And you will receive new life. And then you can live like no one's ever lived before. And you can see like you've never been able to see before. And you can relate like you've never been able to relate before. Because this is all true of us in Christ. Believers, that's already true of all of us. We need to live it out. So plan on coming into the the, uh, subsequent sermons and, and learn how best you can glorify God by living out Christ in you so that our community can see that and praise God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, I'm very thankful for the salvation I have in Christ. When I came to faith, Father, you know, I knew next to nothing. I had wrong beliefs about the Bible. I had wrong beliefs about church. I had wrong beliefs about religion. But Lord, as I engaged in your word, Day by day, month by month, year by year, you have grown me, matured me, and helped me to better understand the mysteries of the gospel. That mystery that was made plain on the cross of Christ and at his resurrection. Father, I pray there's anyone here today, again, they would place their faith in you. They, they would confess their sins. Now, all of it, all at once. God, forgive me of all my sin. Past, present, and future because of who Christ is and what he has done on my behalf. My faith is in him alone for salvation. I can do no good works to earn it. I can only trust in what Jesus has done on my behalf. Lord, if there's anyone that's prayed that way today, I pray that you would move in their hearts to tell someone so that they can get help in walking this walk of faith from this day forward. For all of us who have been believers for many years, Father, we just pray that you would strengthen us to know what it is that we already possess. And thank you for the reminder that we can can do everything different because of Christ in us. And Father, we do pray that this church body, individually and corporately, that our community would see Christ in such a way that they would honor you and glorify you by coming to faith. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.